I'm Colton. And I'm Kalen. And, and this, this is the Future of Thought. Free speech. It's considered by many, particularly in the West, to be our most valuable freedom. It's viewed as being at the core of being a human being, at the core of all other freedoms. And today we unpack whether or not this is true. Going forward, I think we should establish how not how we define freedom of speech um, and exactly why it's called that, perhaps. Um, why it's a freedom and, and, and what qualifies as speech um, by modern definition and also maybe by more archaic definitions, uh, what that means. Um, because freedom of speech is a, a huge topic. And like you said, here in the West, it plays a huge role. Um, and in, in fact, it's part of a lot of the culture of people who live uh, particularly in America, uh, United States. So I, I guess the biggest things to try to unpack first and uh, kind of a disclaimer that this isn't really any particularly extremely true answer but it, perhaps our rendition of uh, what these words mean perhaps backed by a little bit of research and, and what have other and what others have said in the past um, so when we say freedom of speech what exactly do we mean by I, I guess I'll start us off with speech right I guess what what did what does it mean to you Colton well free speech, I think might just be a, a misnomer. Really, uh, when most people think of it, they think about, uh, at least in the United States, the First Amendment, right? The freedom to express yourself verbally, but as well as express yourself through how you are represented in your religion or how you spend your money, um, which is a, a more recent argument for free speech, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously in, debated in politics today, particularly in the presidential elections. But really, we're just trying to uh, better understand or at least set a precedent for what exactly free speech means in the United States today and then expand on what our opinions are potentially, right? So, for example, um, in the United States today, free speech is not an absolute. There is no sense of the ability to say anything you want in any circumstance mm -hmm. it's it's a gray area right for example um, defamation and that could include libel or slander you know written or spoken word uh, you can't defame someone and ruin their reputation and ruin their their future and and what have you uh, because that that's considered imposing on them imposing on their freedoms and their liberties right um, another example um, would be inciting violence if you are stating something, proclaiming something that is requesting violence and uh, immediately, then you are considered, um, to generalize, you are considered damaging to society. Right. So today, there is no absolute free speech. But where a lot of the conversation comes in, particularly within the last couple of decades, is, for example, uh, with, with the expression of 
of gender, right? I'm using preferred pronouns, um, making sure that's an emphasis, um, trying to prioritize one's uh, ability to not be offended, maybe over truth value. And for better or worse, that's the, the path we're taking um, towards lesser free speech. But just to set the groundworks, the United States was not it was not based in absolutist freedom of speech. Right. And, and you could definitely see how that propagated to other nations um, as they develop their own versions and also borrow from us uh, in, in some cases. Um, not to be a dead horse, but for example, the, uh, you know, the C-16 bill that was passed in Canada um, to uh, protect the LGBTQ plus community. Um, by including them under their Human Rights Act, um, it pretty much it in- prohibits um, certain dialogue, uh, particularly derogatory um, usage of words against that community um, on the same grounds as uh, racism and sexism. Um, and it's interesting. I, I mean, I think it's important that we don't deal in absolutes with uh, uh, what we're calling free speech because, um, you know, you can make thre- death threats, uh, blackmail people. Um, you can incite chaos and riots. I mean, there's specific reasons, I believe, why we have these type of things um, in our Constitution. Um and uh, protected by our government, and it's it's to really to prevent us from damaging ourselves. And, and you can take that argument really far and talk all about the government's role in protecting us, uh, which is extremely relevant to the freedom of speech uh, discussion. But in this particular instance where we're talking about potentially dangerous words, slander, um, there needs to be limits. Well, it's really interesting too um, to look at, for example, you mentioned C-16. I think this is one microcosm. Um, There's this debate going on now, and I don't want to say it's a mainstream debate, but um, it is a debate happening with the at least Sam Harris, Jordan Petersons of of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have individuals discussing not simply freedom of speech to the extent of what can we not say, like what violence can we not induce? What offense can we not um, partake in? But now there's even some talk of what must we say? What pronoun must we call someone? Or um, that, that's just really one new example. But I want to know, Kaylin, what is your, what is your take on, um, on the imposition of mandated speech versus the restriction of speech? Or is there no difference at all? Okay, so... Uh... I don't exactly know the inner workings of the C-16 bill in Canada, but I imagine, and as far as I've heard, um, misgendering or mis, uh, misspeaking someone's pronouns, um, and, you know, I, I doubt very many people would take this to the extreme, but it could be seen as a, an attack or, um, yeah, really a verbal attack on the person. And so at that point, you're really looking at... If you ask me, mandating speech, uh, which is it's 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 interesting because as far as I'm aware, in America you can 
walk up to a person and berate them with whatever you want to call them, whether it's racial slurs or um, a- anything derogatory, and be okay. I mean, as long as you're not hurting them, it, like directly, physically, um, you can blame Sort me. of. Sort of. There is some hate speech laws, I believe, some hate speech laws, um, but I'm not super well educated on them. Okay. Okay. So I, I'd have to I'd have to look at those. But uh, to my understanding, for the most part, you could get away with that. Um, what what, uh, what was the other? Um, you you kind of brought up two points with speech. You said mandating, and and what was the other one? Well, really, it was just trying to unpack if you think there's a, a distinction, frankly, between mandated speech, um, things you must say, you must some, call someone a certain pronoun. It's just this one example that, uh, that people understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in today's context. Is there a difference between what you must say, how you must greet someone, things like that, versus what you cannot say, how you cannot express yourself, how you can't spend your money, kind of like taxes. It's like a verbal version of, of monetary policy. What must you spend your money on? versus what you can't spend your money on. And maybe that parallel makes it easier. So, okay. Well, uh, I see what you mean. It's it's very difficult in my head to differentiate to the two, but I, okay. I think there is somewhat of a dis- distinction and, and maybe um, your opinion will help me uh, figure out how well I understand that distinction if there is one. Um You know, as well, I'm just as, curious. I'm just curious of your opinion. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a right answer. I, I think there is a distinction because when you say people can't perform an action, right, um, uh, fundamentally prohibiting people from doing something, um, that logically makes more sense in my head than forcing them to do something um, rather than telling them, not to do something. It's kind of a weird distinction, but I, I think there is a difference because it, it, how I understand, you know, uh, how we have freedom of speech in the United States, you can't say things uh, that would, you know, fall under the categories of, you know, slander or uh, hate speech to to an extreme extent uh, and, you know, inciting riots the prime example being yelling fire uh, in a movie theater, screaming fire in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there's a distinction there. Um, and, and, and to bring up an example, at least how I understand it, the C-16 bill tells you what you have to say rather than what uh, you can't say. Um, if you if you want to bring it to the extremes. So, yeah, th- there is a difference. I agree. I think there is a difference. I am not well versed enough to differentiate the two. You know, I, I am not a major of gender studies. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. Uh, Neither of us are, you know, and we're not claiming to be, but it, it is interesting because it seems to me that once you enter a game of imposition of speech, um, it's a more slippery slope. And I think this is a similar argument. A lot of people make, although to, a different domain, obviously, about taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if you can tax me 30%, well, you might be able to tax me 70% and there's no repercussions. Now, again, 
not a not a lawyer. I don't know legal code all that well. Right. But it, it's kind of the similar idea um, to the point where there's no explicit res- result, right? So taxes allow you to live in a civil society with social infrastructure, whereas imposition of speech simply as far as it's being presented allows someone to feel like they aren't offended, right? Just to use the most common right. terminology. Um, and it, it really just comes to a value game, you know, a value game of are you okay with uh, feelings over facts? Um, ben Shapiro uses that obviously very, very often, you know, facts over feelings. Um, but it, is that the way you lean or are people's mental states and emotional um, bedrock, as it were, is that what we should value as a society? And then the other level, as I mentioned, is the slippery slope. Once you begin imposing rules, then your liberties seem to be taken away. It seems to be a zero-sum game, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, let's say you're driving along the road, to use a metaphor, and one road's under construction, right? Well, you can't go that way, but you live in the city, you can take any other road. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's you have to go west on Interstate 40. And that's the only way where you're allowed to go to work, regardless of traffic. That's what we mandate. And that may seem like an extreme, unrelated example, but I think it's the same logic. Uh, it's just it. we have to understand that there might be a distinction there. And this is kind of a new argument as far as I can tell. Um, but it's a valuable one that we... Yeah need to work on understanding and make sure we don't prematurely make any conclusions because if we premature make or premature make any decisions rather because if we do then we may have to revoke them later on and and that's never beneficial it's just inefficient you know yeah we're 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 in a very interesting time um because I, I, this is kind of a side tangent but it, it's going to it's it's going to be relevant and also it's we're going to talk about all of these topics in the future anyways. And so touching base on them as we tie it into speech is obviously going to be just fine and important. But when I think of gender, right, and and the current progression that is happening uh, in regards to, you know, for example, gender studies, uh, its impact and how it, how it fits in society. uh, It, it's interesting. And, the only other thing that I can think similar to it is sexuality. I mean, this is kind of a side tangent, but one thing that is kind of difficult when approaching, you know, gender and sexuality is that, uh, to my understanding, that sort of thing is kind of a... And, you know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of you know every single LGBTQ plus community member, or uh, if you don't, align with that community regardless of who you are i don't i don't want to speak for you but as i understand it, it it's it's more of a choice and, and sometimes it's a feeling that you can't deny right um and, and to others it's a choice but the thing that's weird is that for many people i i feel like something like that is not decided at birth versus race or sex um, those things are decided. You absolutely have no say in what ethnicity you are because you don't get to decide whether or not you're created and brought up into this world. 
And so when you look at how we're approaching gender and sexuality today, we're categorizing them under uh, race and sex, except there's a discrepancy. And, and in my opinion, that discrepancy lies in that I feel like they're completely different um, concepts. And, and so when you approach it from the freedom of you know, speech uh, category, uh, so to say, I feel like there's a whole like mess of ambiguity behind these topics because uh, it's kind of bringing very abstract ideas into an already abstract realm and it's speech because we, we already struggled defining exactly what speech is. So that's an interesting point. And I want to, I want to pin this down and see if I understand completely what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will make the argument and, and rightly so in, in a number of cases and maybe the majority of cases that um, gender, for example, which is just one aspect of the LGBT community um, that is, although not biologically supported externally with gender dysphoria, for example, it is biologically just um, supported uh, mentally, right? That's one example. Mm -hmm. And in that case, that would be under, I suspect in your mind, a similar level of scrutiny um, to ethnicity and, okay. um, and sex, um, as it were, just about um, whether or not you can impose laws and things like that. But I wonder... Um, what exactly, what aspects of the LGBT community do you think maybe don't, that maybe aren't deserving of that same level of scrutiny because of the ambiguity? Um, what level or what aspects of the community do you think that is? Do you think it's something that's there today or do you think it's just a projection of their continual growth into uh, more and more minorities to a point where they might become an ambiguous um, community or like what exactly did you mean by that? Right. Okay. So I. Uh, so before I get on, into all of that, I just want to say that I don't. I don't think less of any of these people at all. They're still people and they're still humans, and I appreciate them. And you know whatever they may be doing for the world or for their friends or whoever. Um. But the whole concept of sexuality and gender, and and you bring up a good point with gender dysphoria being an actual. Um. um is something that people go through that's out of their hands, so to speak. Um, so I guess the question was where I draw the line, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like, are there aspects of that community or or any other facets of gender or expression or 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 just facets of society, frankly, that you think maybe we are labeling them as to deserve a similar level right. of okay. protected speech as ethnicity, but really they might not deserve that same level of speech protection because they're not quite as substantiated or something like that. Right. Okay. So, um, here's how I look at it. This is a, a viewpoint that, um, most people right of center typically, uh, share. Not that I'm necessarily right of center, but th this is one that you might find, uh, is that the whole slippery slope argument of if people can continue to pressure legislation to protect them under their specific instance, um, why can't I, under whatever I want myself to be protected under as? So, which means you can be anything you want. You could be, um, 
you could basically break all the ground rules of our social hierarchy, our social structure, um, and fight for that protection and only be a very small amount of people. Um, and it might not even be biologically backed. You can simply think it, right, and express that you need to be protected, right? So this is excluding people uh, where it's, uh, in this example, out of their control, whether or not they feel the way they do. Um, yeah, and I, I can see that fear. I can definitely see the fear of the slippery slope because um, one thing that's been said um, by a couple of other podcasters I've watched um, is that, you know, the rights of these people become the responsibilities of others. I believe it's either Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris. Um, but... You know, not to take their words out of context because they were talking about this exact topic. Uh, in the instance, uh, one of them said this. Um, and, and not that that necessarily poses a huge inconvenience to me because I, I don't mind taking the extra 20 seconds out of my day to change uh, how I approach conversation with you by reconfiguring, uh, you know, what pronouns I say when I talk with you, but um, it's more what we kind of sort of defined at the start of the podcast. You're imposing this upon me. Well, well, I have no power. I can't impose anything on you. So really, as I'm understanding it, it's just a, a very subliminal game of power. Um, so. Not to get lost on a tangent about gender expression and, and the LGBT community, because that will be an episode at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but because there are so many parallels to freedom of speech, because it's a freedom of expression in a uh -huh. sense, which we've kind of lumped together. Do you think there is a necessity for a truth value associated with, uh, with, the imposition of rules, let's say. So for example, yeah. um, if for like the uh, gender example, you are, if I heard you correctly, you are discounting gender dysphoria as something that is uh, biological, right? You're not, you're not talking about that as, as being am ambiguous, but you're saying more of the, um, more of the expression that isn't biologically based and isn't mentally based. Right. So if I heard you correctly in that, um, do you think that this, this latter group, which may be a very small minority of this community. I don't actually know uh, what those numbers look like, but for this organization or for any other that has people expressing themselves without a biological or physical truth associated, do you think that poses a harm or does it not really matter whether or not there is a biological, physical or mathematical truth involved? to someone's expression and then therefore they should be scrutinized at the same level as as other functions like someone who has gender dysphoria that is because of a, a mental not a mental illness but a, a, just a mental difference right everyone's right. different it's just a difference and that's a truth value associated biologically do you think a truth value is even necessary um and whereas someone's feelings is going to happen regardless of the objective truth associated right so that I, made any sense yeah you, you you did a good job explaining that um hopefully i understand it so my answer to that is let me see here 
uh, so I'm going to give my opinion, and this may just be my uneducated, uh, very ignorant opinion, but I'm going to give sure. it. Um, sure. You see, when you talk to someone about sexuality, uh, which, I mean, I don't know how often that happens, but that's usually something I don't open up about until, you know, I'm really trusting of someone. That's not something I flaunt, especially since I am a straight cisgendered male. Uh, it's something I don't have a lot of experience of. And, you know, I'm not, I, I want to be careful here because I walk a very thin line because I, I don't want to offend anyone. Um, but at the end of the day, when I look at things like sexuality and, and that ex the expression of that, it's no different than expressing something that's really personal to you, right? That you enjoy, that you've almost made a part of you. In some cases, it is a part of you, like a show you love watching or a video game you absolutely adore. Um, in my opinion, it's on the same grounds as that. It's personal and it's important to you, but... You can make fun of people who love video games all day, call them nerds, call them shut-ins, right? And they have no protections. And you can call people who, you know, watch TV shows and sit on the couch all day, whatever you want. As far as I know, I mean, not taking it to extremes. Um, but we're in this weird area where sexuality has kind of elevated this stage. Um, actually, no, elevated above this stage. Um, at least from my perspective, it's become something entirely above all of these other things that were, um, you know, parts of who you are. And I, I know it's kind of a, a wide reaching, you know, step to go from hobbies to what people are basically defining as a personality trait, right? Um, but I mean... In that sense, I just it should receive equal treatment with freedom of speech, whether you know, in, in, on the grounds that it's it's kind of similar to just something that you really like and something you pursue. But at the end of the day, anyone can make fun of that, and that's okay. Before we continue, we'd like to make a quick announcement. We run this podcast ad free. Of course, with a trial version of Spotify, for example, some ads are out of our control. However, we will never run third-party ads during the Future of Thought podcast. This podcast acts to promote accessible, unhindered discourse for all who listen. Because of this, we rely on you, the listener, to support this podcast. Support us by visiting our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the future of thought and selecting the tier of your choice. Regardless of how much or how little you choose to donate, you're a greatly appreciated listener. Now, let's get back to the podcast. That that brings to another point uh, that I, I'm not sure I have an answer for. And I'm sure there are very well-constructed and evidence-based answers out there. But it brings to another point, which is slightly different than the past, mm -hmm. in that even if you, well, let's just say you want to put your hobbies, as you said, your, your passions, your, 
your extensions of you insofar as the world can perceive. Mm-hmm. If your social extensions of you deserve, let's say, a certain level of criticism or at least are able to receive it legally, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you extend that to your expression, uh, gender or or something like that. It, it brings up the question really, where is the cutoff and is it justified? For example, um, let's look at racism. Of course, when I say racism, I mean it in the the classical sense because today uh, scientists, anthropologists know races are, are more of a man-made construct. They're not really a real thing. Um, but uh, ethnicities, for example, I mean it really to be synonymous with the term ethnicity. And uh, it's interesting because ethnicities, for example, um, they are not allowed as much criticism. Like you can't criticize someone on their race, as far as I can tell um, in practice, mm-hmm. as easily as you could for criticizing them for liking a certain, maybe a weird video game, right? right. And even just saying exactly. it, it sounds like they're on two totally different levels. And of course, you can understand why that has come to be. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has been historically oppressed because of a video game, exactly. as far as I, as far as I know. I, I, uh, but I obviously, either, yeah. right? But obviously, Native Americans and to a um, to a more expansive extent, um, Africans mm-hmm. transported to America. Clearly, there was historical oppression, and to say it was systemic is an understatement. So now it comes to today, where you have levels of systemic oppression that are much, much lessened, um, but are, are still there in some aspects. And, and it makes you, you wonder, um, because of oppression in the past, is that the requisite for not allowing someone to criticize you as much? Oh, um, and, if, and if that's the case, can you ever leave that? If, if you are able to be criticized as much for being tall or having dark skin or loving video games, if they can all be criticized equally someday, is that a sign that society is actually progressing to a point where we no longer define people by arbitrary races, but rather we can make fun of it all equally or not make fun of it all equally, uh, <laughs> if that made sense. It's uh, kind of in your question, you kind of voiced exactly what I wanted to say. That is funny. Um I think that is progression because the reason why, well, I won't, I won't tell you the reason because I honestly don't know. I wasn't there and I wasn't one of the participants in uh, slavery or absurd racism in previous, uh, previous centuries or even today. I haven't been any part of that. Um, How I understand is that there's just, or how I understand it, rather, is that in modern day, it's to the point that most cases, racism just comes about because of the environment you're raised in. You're led to believe things. And you're going to continue to believe these things because, well, you were taught them. And if you weren't taught them, um, you could have been led due to circumstance after circumstance to believe them, right? Um, It comes down to fear, uh, in my opinion, right? You don't know a lot about, in in the example of maybe like a European white male, about this different type of person. Um, 
and it's kind of hard to draw parallels to you know a few hundred years ago because obviously times are so different now and the access to information makes it so that in my opinion being racist is almost i'm not going to say it because some people have their reasons but it, it can be pretty darn ignorant because you can definitely read up about people and realize that well genetically we are literally the same thing um and for the most part, the only difference comes down to um, whatever genes you inherited from your parents. And, and that's literally everyone. Everyone's different in that regard. And so I think it would be a huge step in human maturity if we could look and no longer care about whatever you are, whether that's physical or mental, and be able to state, you know, jokes, quips, anything you wanted to say and, and not be attacked by it. Or not even have the urge to attack people. Um, and this is a huge topic because this draws into society and culture too as we talk about freedom of speech. Because it really is society and culture that kind of morphs and defines uh, what is speech and what is having that freedom look like. And right now we're in a current stage where we want to abolish the old norms of having two sexes and being constrained to the you're a boy or a girl uh, or being constrained into you have to like women or you have to like men. And I think that's totally fine. Um, if you're to ask me, I just think it should be why does it matter at all? Nothing nothing really matters. At, if you If you really ask me, it, it doesn't matter what you like or what you are. Um, if you're human and you understand the world, albeit maybe through a different perspective, but similar to how I do, then why should I judge you? Regardless of, you know, uh, what you look like or how you think. Um, There's some caveats. Um, I mean, as, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, judge people by the content of the character not the color of their skin and i may have incorrectly quoted that but you know it, i really kind of follow that idea and so 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 i wrap it up here and bring it back to our main topic so i just can't don't continue tan talking tangentially about other topics um i think we need to progress towards a stage where we don't really have to create these exceptions and these exclusions for separate groups of people because they feel different ways or they like different things. Instead, we can all respect each other. I mean, I know I'm, I'm wishing upon a lucky star here when I say stuff like this. It's pretty ridiculous. It's probably not going to happen ever. But, um, you know, I, I'd like to think that that's the ultimate step towards a society and culture that, that has mastered true freedom when it re with regards to speech. And to expand on that further, uh, it's really interesting the the point you really you really made there. Um, uh, you throughout history have movements, right? You have obviously the civil rights movement um, was huge. You know, ending with uh, in the mid '60s. Well, I say ending loosely, but mm -hmm. um, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, you know, at least at least signing into law the Civil Rights Act, right, in the early early to mid '60s. Um, and that's that's a step, right? But that step wouldn't have happened without pressure right. from these movements, you know, without the peaceful Martin Luther King Jr. type or just as 
easily arguably um, the slightly more violent Malcolm X type, but all needed potentially in these movements. And so it's very interesting um, because this isn't just a United States problem or, or experience. This is a global historical experience that mm-hmm. you have needed movements throughout time. I am uh, was just reading uh, Mao Mao, General, uh, General China's story in Kenya about the Mao Mao movement and mm-hmm. how they wanted independence and um, freedom for the Kikuyu people in Kenya um, to get out of uh, uh, British colonial rule, right? Because there was so much unfair treatment. And this isn't, I mean, this is this is everywhere, right? This is a global phenomenon. And it's it's curious because that seems to fly in the face of the argument that you made and that I kind of alluded to, that the goal is to not have any more movements, it's to not need them, frankly. Mm-hmm. The goal is to no longer define ourselves through a sectarian mindset, to no longer prioritize people who are of a certain body style or a certain skin color right. or a certain educational background, or and the list goes on, but rather to, like you said, either not care, just stop caring so much about how people present themselves or to a point where, where society isn't set up through sectarianism, right? It's an interesting mm-hmm. balance. I don't know if I, if I have the answer, cause I am certainly comfortable saying that there's so much validity in these movements. You know, yeah. Historically, they have been absolutely necessary to invoke change. Uh, and and I, I'm curious, just a total futurist prediction. Do you think it's possible to, get to a point not where you don't have movements because of some regime but because you intrinsically societally don't need them anymore everyone isn't going to make the same amount of money equity uh equality of outcome as it were Mm -hmm. isn't going to be the case but equality of opportunity could be right do you ever think it's possible that we could reach a point where society either in the united states or in the west or globally or through different planets if we expand further where we can have a state where movements are no longer the best option as they have been historically and what's better is simply civil discourse everyone respects opinions and seeks the truth and that's all that matters and you don't have to be forceful and be physical to get your point across right so I'll work my way towards my answer on whether or not <laughs> we think I think it's it's even a possible future. Um see, I, I, I I'm kind of a hypocrite in that I do think these movements are great, but at the same time I don't think they're necessary. Um I I, I should clarify that before I, I sound like a total <laughs> goofball. So <laughs> I think the time has come and gone for people to spread awareness of LGBTQ plus and that mindset. I think everyone is fully aware of what that is and and what it represents. And, and unfortunately, in many cases, it's misrepresented uh, because obviously you have information travel that is uh, showing extremes of of this movement, uh, which definitely deters people who are already kind of on the on the fence, you know. 
Um, I, I think now it's just time that we need to learn how to accept accept it. Because in my opinion, it's I don't want it to be a big deal because it's a waste of resources to fight something that doesn't need to be fought. And the fight of you know, rights for LGBTQ+, plus. well, I, I think we already know the right answer. We already know the ethical and moral answer to that. And it's, if you ask me, it's, uh, it's that obviously they're people. They should have the same protections as everyone else. This shouldn't be a concern that is, you know, consuming resources. And, and, and that sounds insensitive because in some places you still have very bad conditions for people like this. Um, and so maybe the movement shouldn't be to continue exposing the world to this movement, but instead exposing these bad people and shaming them, you know, which is kind of backwards. Um, but, I mean, if we really want to foster acceptance, I think a different move needs to be taken. And maybe it's not shaming people that disagree because that's that's horrible. That, that will just get them to disagree with you more. <laughs> but I I think it's possible. I think it would require a huge societal change, and I think it would require very interesting definitions of freedom of speech. Well, I think it would. I think it would eventually lead to the truest form of freedom of speech, which is you can say whatever you want, and as long as you're not legitimately hurting people um, continually, then you're good. I mean, it would come down to if someone says something to you, and you're like, yo, don't say that. And then they agree and say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry, dude. I won't say that in the future. I mean, what a nice goddamn world that would be. But unfortunately, uh, they, people usually aren't like that for whatever reason. I don't know the answer to why people are like that, but people are like that. They will say they will continue calling you racial slurs if they don't like you. It's interesting because this problem has not fixed itself. There are lots of problems uh, in what I'm about to say, but in some ways has has given a potential pathway forward. And this example is free market capitalism. And let me explain. Um, I am not a proponent of proponent necessarily of absolute free market capitalism. You know, um, incentives are sometimes necessary to uh, do research and development for a new vaccine, right? So they get a part-time monopoly, right? Or natural mm -hmm. monopolies exist. So these, these things I'm not arguing against per se, but just as a generalization, let's look at a company, right? You have online resources where you can rate hotels. Let's talk about hotels. Okay. You go in, you talk with one of the managers and they are just an absolute asshole to you. They're mm -hmm. disrespectful. Uh, they don't listen well. They, they, they didn't break the law per se. They didn't, steal your money but they were just on the surface and generally bad humans right they were just disrespectful now you're not going to sue them most likely uh you could i guess but mm -hmm. you may not have any bearing to to get a refund or recoup legally but the thing you can do is you go to TripAdvisor or whatever websites exist hotels.com i don't know all of them and you give them a bad rating right mm -hmm. and then through the natural course of this manager having a job, their ratings get worse and worse and less people use the business. And then th that incentivizes the business to fire you, right? right? So that seems it's very surface level and gets 
and disregards so many caveats. But that almost seems to be a similar parallel that you could draw with free speech. You know, if you get to a point where outside of direct um, inciting of violence or or direct libel, outside of things that are very clearly agreed upon from liberals, mm-hmm. conservatives, and anyone in between as being unacceptable, um, outside of those, if you if you leave a fairly open freedom of speech, then that freedom in itself will act towards a sense of self-preservation for society. If someone is being an idiot towards you, society calls them out on it. You don't throw in a bomb threat. Right. You don't attack them. Yeah. You don't hold their family hostage. You don't do any of those things that are physically violating their their liberties, but you call them out on it, right? And then they correct themselves and then we move on. And then that, as a result, um, which leads into something we've seen today with Kevin Hart and um, presenting at the – was it the Oscars? Is that what he was going to present at? Um, um, I don't remember. Check that real quick. Um, but it leads into it leads into this idea that if, if society is checking itself through its speech, then people will be held accountable, and then they are granted second chances. And then if they fail, they'll be held accountable again, but it will be even more accountability. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically creating a negative feedback loop for people who, who, uh, who, who don't really abide by, uh, you know, really just being nice to people and respecting them. You know, ha- lacking that respect. I'm trying. It to, is the Oscars. Okay. Yes. It was the Oscars. the Oscars. Yeah, I was trying to look for it for you, but I, I remember because it was controversial because he uh, went on Ellen DeGeneres' show and she's obviously an out gay woman and mm-hmm. and his comment he made on twitter what was it five or ten years ago was um was uh in a disrespect to to the um quote-unquote queer community as it were and um he of course wasn't really given that second chance unless he was forced to apologize to the ox the oscars and, and he didn't want to do it you know mm-hmm. um but it's just an interesting dynamic that might lead us into a, a further conversation about um second chances in speech you know um, I don't want to move on too quickly if you had more to say, um, but it could it could be interesting too to to unpack the ideas of speech. Um, once you say something, once you are even if you are sober, not just not just inebriated of any kind. Once you say something ten years ago, you tweet something, you make a comment, you were playing pickup basketball. No matter the context, you were doing a comedy routine. Can then right. that define your future? Or can we simply hold you accountable to a certain extent and say, hey, that's unacceptable. Society doesn't support that. Your business isn't going to do as well, as it were, to follow the parallel. And then maybe as we we gain that trust back, you can get that business back again. So we can move on to this. This is is a fine topic. And I I guess my answer to this whole part of uh, speech and saying things and, you know, bringing up the past is contextualizing the situation and one thing one thing i'm going to go on a rant here about because this is this is something i've noticed is that people have seemingly lost the ability to contextualize things that other people say uh and instead you can you know turn a whole slew of words into 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 basically making someone look like something they're not um for example, the whole Kevin Hart scenario, right? I, I don't know the entire details, um, 
But one thing that I'm a believer of is that people change and, and people grow as things happen. And unless Kevin Hart is continually day by day posting tweets that are homophobic, then I, I which I don't think he is. <laughs> he's not, right? Do you, do you know, Colton? No, I, I'm pretty sure he's not. And during okay, that interview yeah. with Ellen that I talked about, it seemed like um, it, it was fairly well understood by those who, who knew the story that he's not doing that anymore yeah. um, outside of the context of a comedy routine. And even in the comedy routines, it, the context is very clear oh, in which right. he does make a joke about being gay or something, which he does about being a certain race or being a certain height, you know, how, mm-hmm. how jokes are founded. Right. Uh, but exactly. to answer your question, no. Uh, yeah. I'm okay. Pretty sure so good. Then my, then my comment hopefully has grounding. So I think, I, I think a skill that we all need to work on is contextualizing things, me included. Sometimes you read the head or sometimes you read a tweet and your brain instantly tells you one thing and then you don't even fucking read the thing and you, and you go on believing whatever five words you read, not knowing the other, you know, whatever else had to be said in that message. And so... Um, for example... Right, since I'm studying aerospace engineering and I, I I've been into uh, astrophysics uh, for a long time, uh, it's like seeing the title of a scientific journal or article called "Black Hole Discovered," and then going home and saying that we took images and we know what black holes look like. It's not necessarily the same thing, right? We could have discovered them and know they exist, but we don't know what they look like, and we don't have pictures of them. And so instantly, you you innocently and accidentally took something and broke its context. Oh, okay, so now we know what black holes look like. And whatever artist's rendition may have been on that article is now what people believe to be the real thing when it couldn't be. And as a quick caveat before you move on, uh, so no one has to respond to us. Yes, we did actually see what black holes look like later on, um, but it doesn't take away from the parallel that Kaylin's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to make sure that's clarified, so no one has yeah, to we, point uh, it out. Yeah, we we have seen the the famed image. Don't don't worry. <laughs> so, in my opinion, it's on the same grounds as that that context that oh, where how is this based? How is it grounded? This information that I'm receiving, because without that. You could say Hitler was a very awesome and moral leader because he was cleansing an evil in his land. I mean, come on. It's like saying nonsense if you look at it contextually and you look at it, honestly, reasonably. Um, But taking it to an extreme, you can get away with stuff like that and and really convince people things because I I think one thing that uh, we struggle with, as far as I've noticed, in in younger people and United States is, and it can even be tracked to other other demographics of people, but it's just contextualizing things, and it's kind of upsetting because people just jump the gun and, and start saying things and thinking things that aren't necessarily true. Um, and so, is it okay to bring things up from the past? If we're talking about freedom of speech, I would think it's okay to say anything. And, and you can bring those things up. But I, I think a more mature society would look at that and say, well, are they bringing the, that up in the context, in the full context 
to make it fair to the person who originally said it, you know? Okay. So let's look at then to expand on that further. Let's look at um, what a lot of people would call cancel culture, right? The idea that if you say something wrong, even if it's egregiously wrong, right? Okay. Uh, there's there's like, levels to it. Yeah. Sure. You know, like but being a neo-Nazi or something. And right. you say, if you something, say something very wrong, yeah. then a platform, which this debate still goes on on whether or not Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube are public platforms or businesses. That's always a big, a big balancing game, but then they can be removed from a site. Right. Mm -hmm. And it appears disproportionately uh, against conservatives, but I, I, I have no, no preference either way. My, my argument applies across the board, uh, but it is an interesting thing where speaking of slippery slopes from earlier, once you can impose or really once you yeah can impose your companies or your founder or your 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 manager's views on whatever um, you're allowed to say then you have whatever biases are inherent to you or, or are inherent to your company affecting who gets kicked off a platform right so for example the idea of um uh, and Kaylin and I have talked about this in the past, but the idea of a, a moral relativism, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this I, this understanding of today's psyche prefers a more inclusive liberal society. Most news networks, I believe, are leaning liberal, most major news stories and what mm -hmm. have you. And that might be for the betterment of society. I, I'm not giving an, an argument here. But then if that's the case, then then the conservative, quote unquote, groups, just to use these general, very general terms, they are disadvantaged in what they can say. Right. So they can't express their beliefs as openly, let's say, on Twitter mm. because they are more likely to be removed or more likely to be demonetized. Um, you have Steven Crowder, who, to be clear, I actually disagree with on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I've agreed with him on some things. Sure. Uh, and he's he's very well known for his change my mind series and right and what have you and and I don't uh, completely agree with him on a lot. However, he gets demonetized right for for saying things, uh, and I might think those things are bad. But how do you know where to draw the line? Should society draw the line? Is the company entitled to draw the line for their platform, or are these simply an open level of discourse through the internet? that since so many people use, they just become a public platform. And, and I'm curious, I don't know if there is a right answer, mm. uh, but it's really interesting to, to unpack this idea that someone who you disagree with, even if it's egregious, but it's not breaking the law, can be canceled. They can lose their money. They can lose a following, not because of a natural reason, not because they've the invisible hand of society has pushed their following away because they've mm -hmm. done something egregious, but because one half of the country thinks it's unacceptable and the business aligns with that half, let's say. Right. Uh, so I don't know. In the eyes of a company, I mean, I think it's fair to do whatever you want to your employees as long as you make it clear to them when you hire them that these are the rules, right? Because it's your company. I mean, who the hell is anyone to tell you what to do other than government restrictions and, you know, uh, uh, codes that you have to follow so you're not... Uh, inadvertently hurting the environment or people. Um, I think 
I think it's okay to say, and this is my opinion, this isn't an answer, because uh, something as as so abstract as the social construct of what we can and should say to each other is just such a powerful beast to tackle that uh, <laughs> having an aerospace engineering major try to tackle that, I might look like a fool, but uh, I'll give my honest opinion here. So... See, this is where it gets a little sketchy for me because, you know, really what what's happening is that these movements happen because people don't like what society imposes on them in terms of restricting what they can or can't do, right? Um, I'd be pretty darn upset if I wanted to marry a guy, but I literally couldn't. Or maybe I could, but I would face shame and uh, and be mocked for the rest of my life. I mean, it would it would suck, yeah. And to have a society that looks at people who mock others for things for personal decisions like that, uh, I I think that's a more evolved society. But what I think is a step further is a society that detaches from that. Because that's a personal experience anyways. Why does society care? Uh, in, in fact, some might call my argument maybe somewhat anarchist because it's almost to the point that there is no true society if it's so detached that it doesn't influence anything. Um, but that's not to say that you know there's group voices and there's people uh, voicing their opinions and things that they want to do. Instead, we don't associate that with the 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 person I, I kind of talked about this in our uh, in one of our previous episodes um, where we were talking about you know personal identity versus political identity right so many things people take personally now and uh, you know oh I, I can't have queer people walking around my neighborhood that's impossible I'm never going to let that happen uh, other side of the fence you have people saying why is it bad for me to be queer and then you have this weird, uh, in my opinion, this weird situation where the answer to both is like, well, I there's really no good answer. <laughs> I mean, is there a good answer to not wanting queer people on your street? Not that I know of. And there's really not a good answer to why it would be good or bad to be queer. I mean, <sighs> maybe that's just my, uh, me being naive. But, you know, the, the social implications are just so hard to deconstruct nowadays because we are we're redefining them. We're, we're definitely in a weird time right now. So platforms then, which you can make an argument, are the most accessible and one of the best ways to communicate with people globally. You know, Facebook, oh, Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Social YouTube. media kind so of those, reveals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those platforms then, um, what... They are businesses. Do you have any thoughts on their rights to intervene um, on their platform, for example? Because they are a business, and we've agreed to their terms and services, although I'm sure nobody's read them. But we've all agreed to them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in doing so, we might have signed away our our freedom of, of expression, right? You can't say anything against the platform's policies. But then if the platform... Let's say in a hypothetical world where we have a, a Nazi Germany psyche, right. but in 21st century where Facebook was ran by Hitler Zuckerberg, 
Oh, it'd be Adolf. It'd be Adolf Zuckerberg. I guess. Um, Hitler Zuckerberg. I screwed that up, but nonetheless, you get my point. If that were the case, and society <laughs> in the majority was like, "Wow, okay, well, that's fine. It's part of the terms and conditions." And then you have a Jewish person get on, and they get kicked off. Well, hey, that's the business's prerogative, right? Mm-hmm. It, it brings up a really interesting balance of if these are the only platforms, or at least the only largely accessible platforms globally. Uh, in many cases, there are exceptions. You know, Facebook has its struggles with getting um, in China, and TikTok is is different in China as well. And there are other cases, uh, but but it makes you wonder. Well, where is that line? Why is the company allowed to? It's my expression, but also, why are they not allowed to? They make their monies. Yeah. So I don't have an answer. You're you're this this this. This conundrum is one that even probably the most well-versed in, in, in socioeconomic, um, uh, socioeconomics can't even answer. Um, or if they can, it'd be with a lot of caveats, I imagine, because I can't think of an answer. Uh, I have an opinion, <laughs> much like everything else, um, or everyone else. I, and again, we're we're in we we live in a weird time, you know. I mean, luckily, I'm not sitting here praying to God one of my thirteen children live without dying from some sort of plague or bacterial infection, and luckily, I'm not having to carry buckets of poop out of my house to like you know spring clean. But we live in a time where we have to sit here and ask our questions in a digital age of well, yeah, a company can do whatever it wants. And in capitalism, competition is typically promoted, and you're going to typically have a lot of variety in your options and choices, which is great. I love that. I love being able to see the 27 different ads for uh, insurance on the television, and I get to pick and choose what I want and work with them. Uh, But then you have things like YouTube, right? You have things like Amazon. You have basically mega corporations that... uh, have established a strong foothold across the entire world. And people willingly go through this single funnel point of, con- of, of, of usage. In an example of YouTube, I bet you most people watch their videos on YouTube. I mean, rarely you'll get Vimeo users. I don't know how many people use Vimeo. I mean, occasionally I get a link and it's Vimeo, and I'm like, oh, this exists. But... At that point, you know, you kind of forget that it's a company because it's daily use. It's like drinking water. You're like, oh, I mean, it's it's normal. It, it's the only one there is. And so now when they start controlling things, you get this, yet again, another ambiguous situation that is so confusing and hard to answer because now, as much as I support a company doing whatever it wants, and when you agree to those terms you fall under their jurisdiction in terms of when you're on their platform where you're servicing their goods or or what have you but but it's difficult now because you have things like YouTube and they can censor you and you can it can be very troubling because YouTube is often seen as a very free platform um at the end of the day I haven't read YouTube's terms and services. So if in there it says we are a free platform and then a 
shift and then tab uh, a line down that says, uh, but also we can restrict what you say, then, I mean, that sucks. I don't know where else I'm going to go. That's kind of the problem with that. <laughs> well, let's take this to an even lower level just because it's interesting. Facebook's a really notable example, and this was brought to um, the forefront of the culture's mind uh, during the, the last election for president, right? Oh, yeah. The Cambridge Analytical scandal is the most notable example of this, but uh, advertising, targeted advertising. Right. Obviously, targeted advertising in a number of senses is legal. Um, price mm. discrimination, as it's called, there's three levels of price discrimination, and and geographic price discrimination, for example, is a legal thing, right? And it's interesting because even further, once Facebook, for example, and I'm not just talking about Facebook, but this is just what people understand most recently, once they have so much data and metadata on you, and they understand your preferences, your likes, they can sometimes understand your subconscious better than your average lacking self-aware human. For example, you hear that story of when there was a woman who learned she was pregnant before she got tested because her shop, her shopping and search tendencies were correlated really strongly with other pregnant women. So then Facebook started giving her ads for diapers and mm. um, whatever other baby products mm -hmm. um, she received. I don't know exactly what ads she got. And it's really interesting because on the surface, it seems like, well, that's a benefit to me because you have my expression, you have analyzed it, you have monetized my expression, and maybe I'm okay with it because it gives me more ads that I like to see. But at the same time, it can be sold to third parties and it can be used to influence something as foundational to a western democracy as a presidential election which is what we saw in the case of uh, donald trump and hillary clinton mm -hmm. um, aside from the electoral college winning the election that's that's a different conversation yeah um, but for the sake of simplicity it it affects your mind in a way as really really good marketing does that you don't even know that your mind has been changed because of what you've seen but the people who are running the ads know it's doing this to a select number of people in the world. And that for me is an easier, an easier conversation to have, although it's more complex in some ways, it's easier to, to self-evidently say this is kind of unacceptable, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, as a caveat, I'm, I'm one who's relatively anal about data security and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm just wondering if you have any if you have any thoughts on on using someone's data and not just kicking someone off a platform, but using their data to you know, literally manipulate, to coerce, not persuade, but to coerce their opinions without their knowledge. Because I bet you, again, I haven't read them, so maybe maybe this is the user's fault in some way. But in the terms of service, I'm going to bet you it doesn't say, hey we're going to do our best to manipulate you to make a profit from a third party. <laughs> right. They probably would say it in a nicer way, but they'd also probably say it in jargon that no one really understands. You know? Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, those practices are, are, are definitely dangerous. 
if I were to view it on the same grounds as our, our, our previous topics, uh, I kind of view it as, as the same way that I view how society shouldn't really be peering into your personal life and caring all that much, whether you're bi or, you know, you're, you use a different pronoun set. Uh, I don't see how it's fair to the consumer that companies can without you knowing, right? And, and that's the hard thing. God, you know what I realized? I, I've realized we really do live in very weird times. I've said it about 27 billion times this episode, but the more the more we talk about different things, uh, the more I realize there's just circumstances that we've never seen before. Yeah, the um, human existence, um, our experience has evolved, but our mind hasn't quite yeah we're still caught up we still got the lizard brain syndrome right. so <laughs> our processing power does not match that of the computers today we are getting outmatched by our technology and our morals and our norms are really really showing yeah that they're, they're struggling <laughs> so ooh, that's a that's a beast to tackle i mean I, I i think it's unethical i don't think it's fair to the consumer and it needs to be um because we're what drives everything. I mean, I can see how people see it as a convenience. Um, the danger, as you said, though, is is when they sell it off to someone else, and, and it becomes part of something that you never even wanted to be a part of, but you had no choice because um, whether or not it was in their terms, which it could have been, but just in, in, in language that you didn't understand— your information was going to be sold off, and sometimes illegally, many times, unfortunately. But I mean, I I personally think there should be legislation to protect people against things like that. I mean, it, on the topic of freedom of speech, I mean, I, it, it, there's definitely an easy to draw line there. That that's that's that type of marketing, that type of information spread, and information gathering. Um, I mean, maybe gathering the information is okay, but companies need to be more transparent with their consumers about what the hell is happening with their data. Like, uh, like you said, we got our brains are not evolving as quickly as our technology, and, and for good reason because nothing does naturally. Um, I don't remember the last time I saw an alligator, you know, evolve wings in a hundred-year time span. Um. I mean, hopefully I didn't see that because I would be really old by now. But, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting world we live in. And I, I guess I want to bring this up now. The fact that we live in an, uh, such an information... I, I like to think of what now is as the information age because it is literally all about the access of knowledge and data. That's really all of these last like a hundred years of advancement have allowed us to do is just do that, but quicker and quicker. Um, at first it was months of walking and then it was months of sea travel. And then it was days or weeks on a train. Uh, and now you can do it pretty much instantly with computers and stuff. It's pretty ridiculous, and I even left out cars and horses and whatever the the hell else we used as we progressed along the transportation timeline. But it is so it is so hard 
I don't have an answer to that one, Colton. I don't even have an opinion. I mean, I, yeah, it's wrong, but God knows if there's an answer. I think the answer is in legislation, but I don't know how it's going to happen. And that's really, I think, where the predicament lies uh, is, I mean, the EU seems to be doing better, but I'm sure not perfect. Uh, yeah. Companies in a relatively free market, I mean, they are incentivized, they're incentivized to make profit, right? Um, or to produce a, a good or service for society, right? Um, but it's interesting because you can look at um, Project Nightingale, and Kaylin and I have both learned about this a little bit on our own, mm-hmm. um, in which Google is working with uh, Ascension, you know, a Catholic healthcare system, which has something like 2,600, you know, hospitals and offices and things like that and across the U.S. And they are sharing databases, right? I believe Ascension is allowing access to millions of healthcare records of their, you know, patients, of their, I don't know the correct term, but patients, the best term I can think of, those individuals in their systems to, you know, for good reason, in theory, right? They want to um, look for correlations between certain medical records and attempt to find abnormalities, mm-hmm. um, find problems before they occur. And then, of course, there's this, um, you know, proclamation that they will do it anonymously. But then at the same time, you have an understanding that anyone who knows anything about data sets or, or artificial intelligence or, or anything that involves large amounts of information, you know that even if it's anonymous, it doesn't take much matching to know whose record you're looking at you know give a few character traits yep throw on a geographic region you have narrowed it down to a few people and you know their history right you know their their private information and it's fascinating because now you have google partnering with ascension and i i think there was also potentially a partnership with spotify although that might have just been hearsay i, I don't know the details on that um in which you have companies that already have your search history. They know so much about your preferences at any day in your life, what you're looking for, what you're interested in. Then you throw in health records, medical records, which that's even a a legal barrier beyond economies because there's already legal barriers with with medical records, Mm -hmm. you know, FERPA and so forth. And then uh, FERPA is not, FERPA might be education records. I always mix them up. HIPAA might be the correct one. Uh, Um, I don't remember which. Check that. Um, but either you're, way, uh, it, you're, you're thinking of HIPAA. HIPAA is the correct one. Yeah, FERPA is uh, education. Uh, and nonetheless, um, you have these records, and then you throw in your music taste. So now, you, now Google knows your mood. Any time mm-hmm. of day throughout your entire life, everyone uses Spotify. A, a large number of people use Spotify, and um, and even if that's just a hypothetical, and that that never actually happened, that merger, I, I don't know. But regardless, it brings us to an interesting place where on the flip side, even if your free is, uh, excuse me, your speech is extremely free, even if you have ultimate freedom of expression, that is then captured by a company and then used against you. Or even if it's not used against you, it's free, but it's only yeah. free with the understanding that someone's watching you. I won't say Big Brother because Google is not a it's totalitarian really, yeah state. it's not a government it's uh... it's not google and north korea are in totally different things and do not equate the two however the lines of thinking are very similar and it's just an interesting predicament where if you have 
the knowledge that someone's watching, someone has your information, then are your thoughts truly free in that circumstance? And, and I think a strong argument could be made that it's not, you know, your freedom only goes as far as you believe your repercussions won't, you know, mm-hmm. if you think, you know, like the, um, the homage, um, you can move your fist anywhere you want until it hits my face. Then you have lost the freedom to move your fist. You know, uh, it's that same idea. You know, you can say whatever you want, but n- with the knowledge that uh, a company or, or a country or a police force, as we heard about um, with using ring cameras, you know, to um, to capture criminals and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, is your expression truly free in that case? Or is it hampered by, is it is it dampened with the knowledge that if I look up something that I'm curious about, but someone doesn't like it or or it gives out personal information, then maybe I shouldn't make that decision. Your 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 expression is then limited. You know, it, it becomes the imposition we talked about mm-hmm. early on in the episode with with gender specifically. Right. You it, then are given less options. Yeah, and instead of it being driven by society, it's now driven by uh, the pressure from a company. It, it's really just shifted from from a from the pressure of other people to um, having unwarranted consequences with a company. So, uh, yeah, you've just brought up a whole other world, which is not too dissimilar to our own already. That it is. Yeah, um, I mean, Project Nightingale is recent, but I mean, it's real. You know, it's a mm-hmm. real life thing, and that's just one example. I'm not calling out Google. Um, the same thing happens with Amazon. You know, tracking data. Oh yeah. Oh, so so many companies. It's it's yeah. unfathomable. Just get yeah Google Analytics set up through your Gmail, and you can see how much you have access to, <laughs> yeah, even oh on the most God. simple it's, level. It's 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 absurd. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's try and wrap it up here. We only had we we're, we've been going for an hour and twenty minutes about. Okay. Um. So, yeah, with regards to freedom of speech, freedom, truly having the freedom is. It's, it gets more difficult as technology advances as as we continue to find more uses to collect data is, is how I'll say that um, which is really how most technology is used so uh, as technology increases and progresses it's going to get increasingly difficult to uh, not necessarily have the freedom to say whatever you want because you can say whatever you want but feel that it's okay to say whatever you want, um, which we're, in my opinion, we're doing a bad of job of societally, and also this up and coming uh, threat of uh, with companies. So that's a double sided blade that is uh, coming right at us, unfortunately. I would like to challenge those of you listening to this podcast. Think about, and you don't have to have a, a for sure answer. I mean, Kaylin and I just bounce so many ideas and devil's advocates off each other. Mm-hmm. But think about what it means to you, if you haven't already, to be able to speak freely. And again, freedom of speech, to express yourself clearly and freely, um, to practice your religion freely, uh, to spend your money freely. Think about what it means to you in these different facets to express yourself how you want to and try to find that 
balance on the spectrum for yourself where you maybe you find that your freedom of speech is so much more important because of the slippery slope or maybe you find that people's sensitivities and and their emotions and their and their um, psychology is what's more important to society and its growth but I, I challenge everyone listening to not just take our word for it um, not just take whatever opinions we have because they are of course shaped only by our experiences and they are shaped by each other as we we talk quite often but just introspect a little bit uh, go lay on the grass and look at the stars if you're bored and then just think what does this mean to me is it important you know is is it worth fighting for or as we mentioned simply talking about and if it's something you value try to understand why you know uh, maybe it could be a conversation around the kitchen table it could be a totally introspective conversation with yourself but uh, i challenge everyone to think about it because these big topics are often thrown in the face of our enemies you know republicans in the face of democrats and vice versa um, simply because the group think identity says hey that's what everyone else thinks i'm going to agree with them but don't think of what you actually value and what matters to you and and be okay with that just come to your own terms not because your friends told you not because society told you not because we told you but because you think it's right <laughs>